Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in a series in January called Guiding Values, and what we are attempting to do is to paint the picture of what our guiding values will be and have been in our church for a number of years. Rosa, I forgot. It was your birthday. I forgot to list you. It was your birthday. Yes. So Rosa, is at, it was her birthday on Friday. So happy birthday to Rosa, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, guiding values. So our church this year celebrates 135 years of being a church. Give yourself a round of applause. I mean, that is pretty amazing. There's not many things in life that last 135 years. Um, and so it's pretty awesome that our church is still around, that our church is still uh, preaching the gospel. And, and as, as a church with that kind of age, uh, part of this uh, series is to honor the values that we have had over the years, but also to underscore them, to highlight them, so that we're on the same page in terms of uh, what's important in our church. So we have kind of dedicated this space and this time around this commitment. We are going to be a church family that loves God and loves others through three guiding values. The first one is what? Say it with me. An authentic faith. We talked about that last week from Romans chapter 12. We talked about what it looks like for a church and for a person to have authentic faith. And from Romans chapter 12, we identified three characteristics of an authentic faith. We talked about uh, a faith that lives and breathes outside of just Sunday mornings would have genuine love, there would be enthusiastic service, and joyful hope. And so today we're going to rest our attention on Colossians chapter 3 as we identify the second of our guiding values, healthy relationships. The church should be the place people go to in order to find healthy relationships. After all, we've dedicated our life to following Jesus. We've dedicated our life to loving God and loving others. And so the church should be the primary resource for a community to figure out what healthy relationships look like. And yet, if you've been a part of a church for any length of time, you know that oftentimes we are just as screwed up as the rest of you. (laughs) Rest of us, sorry, I said you. I meant us. We're just as screwed up as everyone else. We're just as broken. We're just as flawed. We battle the same temptations in our life. We have moments of weakness when it comes to some of our convictions. We have moments when it's hard for us to pursue the things Jesus wants us to pursue because in our heart there's this turmoil. And yet, if we examine Scripture, there are traits for us to emulate when it comes to healthy relationships. What does it look like for us to develop healthy and strong relationships? We're going to jump in in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 1, where it says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor on God's right hand. So the author of Colossians is Paul, and Paul begins this section where he talks about how do we live as a Christian in the real world? 
And he does this with a clear knowledge that this kind of life is based on some fundamental truths we hold dear as Christians. We do so because Jesus died on the cross and raised from the grave. He conquered death and sin. He, uh, he was raised up to heaven. And what Paul is trying to call to us uh, a remembrance, he's painting us a picture. He's drawing our attention to Jesus' resurrection and conquering death, sin, guilt, shame. Look at the wording again. He says this, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. In other words, he continues in verse two, think about the things of heaven, not about the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So when you're a Christian, our perspective should be on things of heaven. So we know that our lives are now buried with Christ in God, and our minds and our hearts are linked to heaven because Jesus is seated on the throne there. You ever go, um, you ever go out with your family and someone says, oh, I see there's a family resemblance, right? What are they indicating? They're saying that there is oftentimes a physical trait that, uh, that you got from your parents or your siblings share. And because of these physical traits, there's a family resemblance. You can kind of indicate or, 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 or make an assumption that people are a part of the same family. Um, as you get older, how many of you found that you turned into your mom or your dad? Right? And I can tell you this, as a young person, that was probably the least thing I wanted was to turn into my parents, right? Because every teenager thinks we know better. Every teenager thinks that we have, um, that we're that much different than our parents and how in the world could they identify with you, right? And then you get older and you realize I am just like my dad. And then you get comfortable with the idea. In fact, you really start enjoying that you are like your parents. Um, oftentimes, when, when we go to uh, Southern California to see <clears throat> my folks, um, you know, Libby just gets a window into her future. Uh, the last time we were down there, there's usually a project or an errand or usually an errand. I wouldn't say project, but an errand would kind of help them run. And so we'll go, we'll get up in the, the rental vehicle that we've um, got while we're down there, and then we'll go to the store. We'll go wherever we're going for this errand. And the last few times, and it happened on the very first time she visited us, uh, we were probably walking down the aisles. Um, and, and sometimes when I'm just not in a hurry, I will walk with my hands behind my back. I really don't know why, but I'll do that. And so I'll just walk, and I'll just be looking at the aisles like that. And Libby snapped a photo of me because right next to me is my mom. And she's doing the same exact thing as me. There's a family resemblance. It doesn't have to be a character trait. It doesn't have to be a physical anomaly in, your, in, in the way you're made up. But there are things about you that can identify you and the family that you are a part of, right? What Paul is about to say is this, if you are risen with Christ, 
here is how you have relationships. And as much as they're commandments, they're also indicators. What I mean by that is this. What we're about to see are some clear descriptions that say, hey, if you are a Christian, we should be able to see these family resemblances. These things should be part of your life because we're Christians. And if they're not part of your life, you need to reevaluate or whether or not you really are this family and whether or not you need to repent in these areas in order to align yourself with the things of heaven rather than the things of earth. These are heavy verses, by the way. And I give that with you. I, I say that to encourage you because, as we talked about last uh, week, if we're going to have this authentic faith, that means we don't shy away from these kinds of scriptures. It means that we're going to press in on the values that Jesus has asked us to consider because this is way bigger than any one of us. So, family resemblances, character traits, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? You're going to have these healthy healthy relationships. What does that look like? Well, it means we act in certain ways. So, here are some marks of healthy relationships. You can follow along with your bulletin. There are some things, uh, some inserts, some ways to fill those out. You can also go to the Bible app. Uh, the complete notes are there, and you can cheat and go ahead if you'd like. Uh, marks of healthy relationships. Primary number one is this, in this passage, honoring one another. Honoring one another. Now look at verse 5. He says this. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Now, we'll read the rest of verse in just a moment. The Greek word in there is very strong. It's this word nekrosate, I believe. It's, it, it's, it means to make dead. Something that once was a lie, you are to cease its life. You are to strangle it. You are to kill it. You are to destroy it. And the wording is strong because the value is important. Put to death the sinful, earthy, earthly things lurking within you. We read on. It says, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. So remember what he said in verse 1, 2, and 3. He says this, hey, if you're risen with Christ, we're going to seek those things that are heavenly. We're going to seek those things that are above, not below. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, because we have been raised to new life, so, he comes out with this strong language, here's what you need to do. You need to put to death the earthly things. He says to this, verse 6, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Verse 7 is so powerful. You, let's say verse 7 together actually, ready, begin. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. So in verse 1, he said, hey, if you're risen, seek those things which are above, not those things which are below. Think about heavenly things, not 
earthly things. Why is he doing, why is that wording so important? He's reminding us of our citizenship as Christians. You know, when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you're considering being a follower of Jesus Christ, what that means is this, you are adopted into his family now, and with that adoption, you get new citizenship. You are no longer a citizen of this world, its cares, its temporary values. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you are part of the family of God. And as such, there's new values that have been ordered in your life. You used to do those things when your life was still part of this world. So when we, identif- when we understand our identity in Jesus Christ, it allows us to have a healthy perspective on what it looks like to put to death these areas of our life. So there's a reason why Paul names and lists these sins in this part. He lists them. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. By naming them, what he's doing is he's asking us to consider what it looks like to honor one another, to value one another. Indulging in these sins doesn't show that you honor someone. And so the sins that he's talking about, when he says sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, this is any sex outside of marriage, this is sexual abuse, This is pornography. This is sexual assault. You say, Daniel, it's 2023. Man, I put that in my notes. It's not 2023. (laughs) What are you going to do, Mike? I mean, you say, it's Daniel, it's 2024. Is this really still the values? Like, culture has progressed so much has it? What I'm asking you to consider is to prioritize honoring one another. And it's about time we do not allow cultural pressure to dictate our theology and our values. Now, it's very hard, but that's what he's asking us to consider. So he says, these things that you have adopted into your life, sexual immorality, lust, evil desires, put them to death. What does that mean? It means you can't have a healthy relationship with pornography. It means you can't have a, sec- you can't have a healthy relationship with sexual abuse. You can't. And so it's not about maintaining those behaviors in your life in a healthy balance. It's about identifying them and mortifying them putting them to death, suffocating the life out of them because you're going to honor men and women. You're going to honor and value relationships and you're going to honor and value that God comes before our selfish desires. Libby and I have been married for a little over five years now, and I can tell you that when we were dating, um, there came a point in our relationship where we had dinner at Red Robin a lot. (laughs) Because we were trying to put up uh, measures in our life where our temptations would not get the best of us. 
we, were, we, were, we did our very best to understand what it looked like to prioritize one another as people and to identify that if God was going to be a part of this relationship and if we named the name of Jesus, we were going to stay pure in that area of our life. Now, if you, if, if you have or are in a relationship where, where that has not been the case so far, it doesn't mean you're cut off the will of God. It doesn't mean cut off from fulfilling the will of God in your life. It doesn't mean that because of this failure, you are not welcome in the kingdom of God nor in this church. What it does mean is, is this. Evaluate your relationship with God and ask him what he would like you to do with this relationship. That's what I'm asking you to consider. In the light of scripture, I think you'll find that if we're risen with Christ, we're going to elevate our priorities to honor one another. That's what Jesus is asking us to consider. Now, in the same breath, what is interesting is this. Paul says this, put to death sinful earthly things lurking within you, have nothing to do with sexual desires, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And what's the very next thing he says? Don't be greedy. Isn't that interesting? Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. What bridges these two ethics when we talk about sexual ethics and we talk about greed? What bridges these two things? Well, it's about honoring one another, and it's about prioritizing God's values over your own desires. Greed is the same thing here, Paul says, as worshiping another god. And if you prioritize something else besides God, you end up worshiping another God. So greed, what does this look like? Well, there's terrible things about greed and covetousness and, and wanting something at the expense of others. It makes people think that this life is about having things rather than having relationships. It hurts other people because you have the capacity to satisfy your desires by hurting other people in the process. And it hurts the soul because the wrong ideas and actions can lead down destructions. So the sins we've talked about are part of how people live in the world, but not how Jesus lived. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, will I identify, will I identify with the world or will I identify with Jesus? We read on verse 8. Now is the time. To get rid of, what's that first one? Anger. Get rid of it. Rage. Malicious behavior. Slander. Dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. In other words, we're going to honor one another. We're not going to slander one another. You're not going to lie to one another. Um, you're not going to act out of anger, uh, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Paul names these first ones, say, uh, anger, wrath, malicious behavior. And Paul tells us that because of the old man being put away, we now are risen with Christ. There's a new standard by which we will live. And then he addresses slander, dirty language, and lying. He says, get rid of these habits. Like you would get rid of old clothing that doesn't fit anymore. All of these sins are mostly caused by what we say, by the way. Isn't it interesting that in order of um, how they appear, 
Paul says, this is how we identify with Christ. We're going to have sexual ethics that honor him. We're not going to be greedy people, and we're going to control what we say. That's, that's the mark. So he says, get rid of all these old habits. Um, we know what slander is, right? It's when you speak inaccuracies with the intent, or accuracies with the intent to cause harm. He says uh, malicious behavior. He says dirty language. He said, said, does God care if I cuss? I think he does. I think if you are demeaning our creator or one of his creations, if you are demeaning another person um, with dirty language, I think God cares. I think if you are cussing at the rate in which you have no ability to control yourself, I think he cares. I told you this would be a hard one, a hard message. Uh, Paul tells Christians to be more obedient. We have to hold our tongue. So in this part, Paul talks about honoring one another in sexual ethics, attitudes, behavior, in our conversations. Get rid of the old person, put on the new. Verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. You see, most of the time when we talk about these kind of behavioral issues in our life, and we do so in a vacuum without addressing our relationship with Jesus, it becomes really hard for us to understand because in our own strength, we cannot control these behaviors. You might be able to stop for a little while or or maybe uh, put some measures in your own place, but without addressing your relationship with God by trying to just modify your behaviors on your own, our flesh is only willing for so long. So here, Paul encourages them and say, hey, put on your new nature. Be renewed. We talked about that from Romans 12. As you learn to know your creator and become like him. What does that imply to us? That imply that there is a process in becoming like Jesus. There's an interesting phrasing here. It says this, be renewed as you learn to know your creator. That means it doesn't mean that once you show up on a Sunday morning, you got it all put together. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that just because you're part of a church doesn't mean that perfection is expected? What is expected is to get to know your creator. And as you get to know your creator, as you get to know him and become like him, you will find yourself progressing in these areas because you're coming more like Christ. This is what he's encouraging us to do. Verse 11, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, that's good news for some of you, uncivilized, <laughs> slave or free. Let's read this last phrase together. Ready to be grand. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Why does it matter? What does it matter for us to honor? Why, why is this so important? Well, because Christ lives in us. So the way we live is not only a reflection of Jesus, but it is also the places and things, the places we go, we take Jesus with us. So honoring is important because in this life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your resume. It doesn't matter your record. It doesn't matter because we're all equal before Jesus. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week. 
All of this is good for Jesus because this new family, in this new family, Christ is everything. And the work of the new creation not only gets rid of our old self, gives us a new man that looks like Jesus, but it also breaks down the walls that keep people from getting along. The wall between slave and free people was very strong in the Roman Empire, but Christianity broke that down. There was all these different ways to identify in the New Testament, historically speaking. And this, is, this list is a partial indicator of that. You were either Jew or Gentile. There was no in-between. You were either circumcised or uncircumcised. You either are barbaric or civil, slave or free. You had all these ways to identify you. And yet, in the New Testament, when the church began to, to form, what was revolutionary about this new way to gather was every one of these labels were dropped. And you had slaves and free people sitting together worshiping the same God equally. You had Jews and Gentiles together worshiping the same Jesus. We're not going to unpack the whole story, but I read this account last week of Perpetua and Felicitas. I would write those names down and maybe Google their account in the arena of Carthage in AD 202. There was a profound impression on spectators when this matron, Perpetua, stood hand in hand with her slave, Felicitas, and both women faced a common death for the faith that they shared. And the crowd could not understand why someone who was free and owned a slave would hold hands and endure the same fate as someone who was a slave. Well, this verse says it, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, since God chose you to be holy people, he loves you. You must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are all traits on how we have relationships. So the first mark in identifying healthy relationships is this, you're going to honor one another. The second mark is this, there will be tender-hearted mercy and kindness towards one another. So Paul wanted them to feel the tiniest bit of another person's pain. He wanted their softest feelings to always be close to those who were suffering. In the past, people would have written that the quality of someone like this is someone who cared about their neighbor's well-being as well as their own. So it doesn't mean that all of a sudden this becomes our new nature once we follow Jesus, but in the course of trying to be like him and being sensitive to his values, what will end up happening is this, your heart will become tender for those who are afflicted to those who are suffering, to those without Jesus, to those who are less well off than yourself. So we're going to honor one another and we're going to have tender-hearted mercy and kindness towards one another. That means when there's a need, you're going to condition your heart to be tender towards that need. That means when um, there's an opportunity to show love and grace to someone, you're going to have kindness to them. You know anyone who's naturally tender-hearted and kind? You know someone in your life 
Think about the values that they have. Think about the way they interact with people. I am not naturally tenderhearted and kind. I would like to think that over the years, God has softened my heart in this area. But for some of us, this is a real struggle to say, I'm going to identify with someone who has need. I'm going to identify with someone who's broken. I'm going to identify with someone who's going through pain. Well, for some of us, that causes real, real, real work. And part of that is just to acknowledge to Jesus, Lord, I want to have tenderhearted mercy. I want to be kind towards one another. Third trait or mark is humility with gentleness and patience towards others. Towards one another. Humility. Humility was not a value that Greek people saw, Greek culture saw, as a virtue. They saw humility as a weakness. The fact that you would not, that you would think less of yourself uh, and, and instead think more of others. The, the value of humility was not something that they, uh, that they praised in this culture. I think, I think if you look at it this way, I think humility is kind of like um, the parents of kindness and patience, right? This gentleness and patience, they're kind of the, uh, the children of humility, so being humble means this. It changes how you treat people. It means you won't control, trick, force people for your own benefit. It means that you will honor one another above yourself. It means that you don't always have to be correct. It, does, it means that you don't always have to be right, but instead you're going to honor the relationship. Being patient how many of you are just experts, pros on patience? We don't need to cover this this morning. We're good, right? Being patient means you won't get angry or short with people when they make mistakes or when they're weak, but that you will stay with them, that you will not cut off the relationship, that you will uh, be forbearing, that you will just be patient with people. Being gentle means that you don't act out even when it's in your power to do so, right? Um. Oftentimes, when you look up meekness or gentleness in a dictionary, they'll give you the example of a horse that's been tamed, right? Um, I don't understand that illustration because I don't know horses. Um, But my understanding is horses are very strong animals, but when you tame them, you can control them with ease, right? The other example I would think about is uh, we were at a friend's house on Thursday night having dinner. And uh, one, of the, one of the guys there, he has two sons and, uh, and a newborn daughter. And the sons are six and four, six and four years old. And during one portion of the dinner, they just start climbing all over their dad. And all of a sudden, there's roughhousing during, well, it was after dinner, so it was fine. Um, and the dad is just roughhousing with his kids, right? And the kids think they're getting the better of their father, right? And we know that what is happening there, the father who has strength and wisdom is acting out of restraint, right? With his kids. This is what it means to be meek, to be gentle. It doesn't mean you're less powerful. It doesn't mean you're less aware. It means that you're actually 
probably capable of much more, but you will act and respond out of restraint. It means you don't lose your temper just because you can because someone screwed up or someone is mean or unkind. It, it, it means you are controlled. It means, it means as followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to try to respond in our relationships with the same kind of humility, gentleness, and patience that Jesus responds with us. Right? So there's humility. There's gentleness. There's patience. And then verse 13 Make allowances, make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In my flesh, I'd be okay if we just skip this verse and go to the end. Because this is heavy, isn't it? Make allowance for others each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you remember the lord forgave you so you must forgive others the fourth mark of a healthy relationship is forgiving one another we are told to live in a way that forgives one another after the pattern of jesus's unforgiveness towards us and understanding the way jesus forgave us will always make us consider that we should be generous with our forgiveness with others. And when we consider the staggering debt that Jesus forgave us and the comparative smallness of the debt others have towards us, it is, uh, this is where it challenges us. I think last fall I preached a whole message on forgiveness. Um, and if you are struggling with forgiveness, I think that, that message might be more... Um, uh, more helpful to you if there is someone specifically you're looking to forgive. But for a few moments, I want us to consider what Christ has done for us. When one thinks of how Christ has forgiven us, it makes us more generous with our forgiveness towards others. I read this list in a commentary this week, and it's such a beautiful, beautiful way to think about forgiveness. So, so for a moment, I want you to clear your mind of the person you're trying to forgive or the unforgiveness that you might have. Um, don't rest there when you think about forgiveness, but rather rest with this thought of what God has done in terms of his forgiveness for us. I want to read this list, and I just wanted to, I want us to meditate on it. I want us to consider it. I want us, maybe whatever the posture is for you, maybe it's writing this list down, maybe it's closing your eyes and and, and, and repeating it to yourself. But when we think about how Christ has forgiven us, it makes us more generous with our forgiveness. First things first, God holds back his anger. Isn't that a beautiful thought? In your relationship with him? That God holds back his, long, his anger a long time and he bears with us a long time even when we have provoked him. Even when we have failed him, even when we come short of the glory of God, God holds back his anger. You know what might be a good exercise? As I read this list, maybe this is an opportunity to thank him for these different areas. You don't have to close your eyes necessarily. You can breathe a prayer wherever you are. In fact, when Jesus in the New Testament prayed, he lifted his eyes towards heaven and he gave thanks. Thanks. 
So even as we go through this list, if you're grateful that God has held back his anger in his relationship with you, let's breathe that prayer of gratitude now. Here's another attribute of his forgiveness. God reaches out to the worst of the worst to bring forgiveness to them. When God forgives, he makes the move towards us in forgiveness. He moves towards us in forgiveness, no matter how far away we are from God at that moment. Rick Warren uh, said years ago that you're as close to God as you choose to be. And yet there's moments in our life where we fail him and, and it feels like there's a gulf between us and Jesus, doesn't there? And if, if we allow ourselves, what Satan, what the enemy of our soul would like to tell you is, you see how much distance there is between you and God? It's going to take you a whole lot of time to travel that way. It's going to take you a whole lot of church Sunday mornings for you to get back to God. It's going to take a whole lot of, and what Jesus says is this, turn nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. How about this attribute of his forgiveness? God forgives us knowing well that we will sin again. Sometimes in the exact same way. Oftentimes, we'll only forgive someone if they promise never to do it again, right? Aren't you glad God does not put conditions on his forgiveness towards us? God bore all the penalty for the wrong we have done against him. Oftentimes, when we forgive someone, we won't forgive someone unless the offender agrees to bear all the penalty of the wrong done. And with Jesus, Jesus says, I've already taken care of the penalty. I bear the full weight. I died on the cross so that you could be my son, my daughter. God keeps reaching out to us for reconciliation even when we refuse him over and over again. Over and over again, he keeps coming back to us. Even when we would reject or deny the opportunity for restoration. I got just a couple more attributes of his forgiveness. How about this one? God requires no probationary period to receive his forgiveness. There's no conditions on God's forgiveness. Oftentimes, we will not restore a relationship without a period of probation, right? We'll see how it goes, and then we'll go forward. And yet Jesus offers us no probationary period to receive his forgiveness. With his forgiveness, he offers us complete restoration and honor. And once having been forgiven, God puts his trust in us and invites us back. When you look at that verse again, it says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. You know what make allowance means? 
It means to plan for someone's faults. That means if I'm running into the store and I just need a couple of bucks for a couple of donuts, I'm going to take a 20. I'm just making allowances that I want more than just a couple of donuts. (laughs) Right? I'm just making allowance. I'm making room. I'm planning on the event in which I need more or want more than what I anticipated. And what Jesus is saying in our relationships is this. Make allowance for one another's faults. In other words, don't enter into a relationship with anyone and expect them to fulfill every mark of a perfect relationship, but make allowance for their faults. Paul doesn't say this, but I think it's implied. Because look in the mirror at your own faults. Look at the faults that you are bringing to this relationship. And if you're bringing yourself to this relationship, guess what? You ought to make room for allowances. You ought to make allowances for people's faults. And then forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We come to verse 14 and he says this. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Love's the perfect summary of this passage because without love, we cannot orchestrate these behaviors without a love for God and for one another. It perfectly fulfills what God requires of us in our relationship. There's a quote by N.T. Wright, who's a theologian, uh, in your notes and on the screen, and it says this, the other virtues pursued without love become distorted and unbalanced. And that's what happens in our life when we pursue trying to have honor with one another, when, it, when we try to have tenderhearted mercy and kindness towards one another, when we try to forgive one another, when we try to have humility and gentleness and patience, and we don't have love, yeah, those behaviors in our life will become distorted and unbalanced. It'll become unreasonable for us. And so Paul says, love is what binds us together. Here's our closing thought. Our horizontal relationships are going to reflect our vertical relationships. And our vertical relationship with God should impact our horizontal relationships. Otherwise, this might well be a country club. Otherwise, we might just check in when we want and check out when we leave. And and unless we're physically there, it doesn't really matter. Uh, In other words, if we do not believe that our vertical relationship with God will impact our horizontal relationship with one another, then what is this all for? Jesus came so that he might give us life and that we might have it more abundantly. The abundant life that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10, when he talks about the thief stealing and killing and destroying, he's talking about relationships the abundant life of relationships. So by God's grace, we will be a church that loves God and loves one another, 
through an authentic faith and by healthy relationships. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at rosebergfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.